Welcome back to the Relational Grace Podcast, where we feature the teachings of Pastor Nick Harris, who taught us that Christianity is not a religion, it's a relationship. I'm Jamie Russell, Pastor Nick Harris' son. And in this episode, we'll dive into the second of a five-part Advent series titled, Good Tidings. Now, in this message, Pastor Harris will focus on the unclean and ritually contaminated shepherds who God chose to be the first to visit his son, the Lamb of God, the Savior. Now, why wouldn't God choose someone more knowledgeable or more important? Might I ask more religious? Well, we're all about to find out. Now, I have to give it up to my son, Max, in this episode. You see, my dad was a very well-traveled man. Many listening today probably traveled with dad. I sure did. In fact, dad was so well-traveled, especially in his later years, that unless you plopped the man in front of the Eiffel Tower or smack dab in front of Michelangelo's David, he was pretty hard to impress. But Max sure impressed him with some photos he sent from a trip that he had taken to New York in December of 2018. Well done, Max Russell. So it's with great joy that I introduce this message, along with its original intro by Kyler Kennedy, titled, The Glory Returns. Have you ever noticed that in religious paintings, Jesus always looks rather pathetic? He's usually depicted as a white Anglo-Saxon Protestant who looks like he needs a good meal. I've never felt like that. He stands there with his face drawn and bored with life, resembling the classic loser. But that's not the Jesus that's depicted in the Gospels. The Jesus of the Gospels was dynamic. Children tended to climb all over him, and as we experience in our own lives, children are attracted to dynamicism. Dynamic people are kid magnets. In addition, unlike his popular image, Jesus had a profound sense of humor. Many of his illustrations are absolutely hilarious. He must have laughed a lot, he was not at all like the religious art that we see. And there's something else about this religious art. Think about God the Father. He is that thing often depicted in the lower left corner of some paintings, always a very old man with a long, scraggly beard and a very round head. But most of all, he looks mean and stern. But such a concept is pure paganism. No, because our God is a God of joy. The prophet Zephaniah even tells us this. He says that he he sings over us, excuse me, he rejoices over us with singing. Now that's joy. Jesus spoke of welcoming the sinner home with laughter, feasting, and dancing. And when the prodigal son came home, the father who represents our God runs to meet him when he's still a great way off. He leaps over the hedges. He jumps ditches. Jesus is saying, God is like that. When the angel of the Lord appeared to the shepherds of Bethlehem, he said, Behold, I bring you great tidings of joy. And that joy will be the focus of our pastor's sermon for today. The glory returns. Bethlehem was and is a very interesting place. It's very picturesque. It is just phenomenal to see. It sits on a high cliff composed of limestone. And for that reason, when people are approaching this town from the east, you can see it from the east literally for miles and miles. And for that reason, when people are approaching this town, they come with a sense of expectation. Now, in the valley east of Bethlehem, 
there were large fields where special groups of shepherds would tend to their flocks. These flocks were mainly composed of one-year-old lambs. Now, let me say that again. The flocks were mainly one-year-old lambs. Why was that? It was because these lambs were destined to be taken to Jerusalem and sold as Passover lambs for the great festival. Now, in the time of Jesus, a stone tower could be found in the very middle of these fields, which was called the Migdal Adair. The Migdal Adair in Hebrew, or, now let me give you the translation, the Tower of the Flocks. Migdal Adair. Now, the flocks the shepherds tended were huge. Thousands of lambs were needed for the pilgrims who came to Jerusalem from across the Roman Empire for the Feast of Passover. Now, the shepherds in the fields who watched after these flocks of one-year-old lambs were overseen by certain temple uh, priests, and they would avoid any ritual contamination by climbing to the top of the Migdal Adair, the tower. That way they avoided ritual contamination. They were removed from the sheep. And here, no unclean thing could touch them. Now, we should not entertain, beloved, any romantic notions about shepherds. Any shepherds. You see, shepherds in the New Testament era were most almost always considered to be socialite outcasts. No one wanted to be around a shepherd. They were considered to be the very lowest of the low. And why was this? It was because they were forced to engage in activities considered to be ritually unacceptable by the temple authorities in Jerusalem. They were, for example, in contact with animal wastes, and they had to dispose of dead carcasses, both of which rendered you ritually impure. So even if a shepherd was pious, he was labeled as being unclean, so he could not come into the presence of God. Now here's what's so strange. These unclean, ritually contaminated shepherds who served around the Migdaladere, the tower, would be the first persons God would choose to visit his son. It's shocking. It shocks me. Of course, now, there were a few pious shepherds. Say, Pastor, maybe these men were pious. Well, even if they were. They weren't like those holy men, those intellectual theological giants found at the temple. You see, ordinary people living at that time believed these temple authorities, these holy men, knew everything there was to know about God. If you wanted to know about God, you had to ask them because they knew. After all, they would sit for hours and debate with one another over the finest points one could find in the Old Testament. In fact, people believe that these men knew all of God's hidden secrets. For example, they knew the exact moment, the exact moment when they should offer their sacrifices to God each day. And yet, in spite of all of their knowledge, these men as a whole were spiritually dead. Their religion had killed any hope they ever had of forging a relationship with God. In fact, God would look at their religious practices and it would disgust him. 
And even though they may have been doing everything right, these men had no faith in their heart, and this alone repulsed God because the Scripture says without faith it is impossible to please God. That is why God snubbed their religion. And that is why he still snubs religion today. You see, we can become so enamored with the practice of religion that it makes us deaf and blind. And that was certainly true of the temple authorities. They were so busy with their religion that they didn't know that an angel had appeared to an elderly priest in the holy place of the temple whose name was Zacharias. They didn't know about that. I think that would be big news that the angel of the Lord had appeared to a priest. They didn't know that. They were so busy with their religion that they did not know that the angel of the Lord had appeared to a girl in Galilee whose name was Mary and had told her she was going to give birth to the Son of God. They were too busy. I think that's big news. They were too busy to hear it. Now, they knew this. They knew that God's prophets had said that he was coming one day in human flesh. Now, they knew this. But when that visitation happened, they were all so busy with their religion that they didn't know when it occurred. Now, all of this seems so strange in retrospect. The truth is, Jewish religion in the time of Jesus, with its great temple, its awesome Torah, and its phenomenal rituals, had become a farce. So much so that when God himself took on human flesh, the angel of the Lord didn't bother to wake up the high priest and tell him. Now, as I see it, the way this should have happened is he should have gone to the high priest and said, I have become flesh. But no, he doesn't. Instead, Kyler, as you shared with us so eloquently this morning, God went to a bunch of shepherds watching their flocks near the Migdali there. And he said to them, fellas, come and see my son. Come and see me incarnated in human flesh. Now, beloved, don't you think all this is highly significant? It means that the very shepherds who are assigned to watch after the lambs to be slain at Passover would be the very first persons to see the one who was destined to be the final Passover lamb, the Lamb of God, the one who would one day take away the sins of the world. Now, I don't know about you, but this is so exciting. But not only that, there's more here that I can share with you if I can just get my pages apart. In addition, these shepherds would be the first ones. These outcasts would be the first ones to worship this ultimate Passover lamb. The one who made all other Passover lambs unnecessary. Now, I said all that to say this. Here is something you may not know. Something your pastor knows that he will share with you this morning. You see the Passover lambs being watched over by these Bethlehem shepherds. 
would be taken to the temple for Levitical inspection on a special day each year. One day, all of those lambs would be gathered together and driven six miles from Bethlehem into Jerusalem. Do you know what that special day was? It was Palm Sunday. Okay, come on. Yes. One thing is certain. In the year 30 A.D., on this same day, Palm Sunday, Jesus would make his royal entrance into Jerusalem. And I can assure you that the fact that Jesus made his entry into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday didn't happen by accident. Jesus was well aware of what was happening. As he rode a donkey down the west side of the Mount of Olives toward the eastern gate of Jerusalem, he knew this. As he rode toward the eastern gate of Jerusalem, the Passover lambs for that year were being led into the temple courts. In other words, the Lamb of God would enter into Jerusalem at the same time the Passover lambs for that year were being led into Jerusalem. Is that amazing? So now, let's return to that first Christmas Eve. In the valley beneath Bethlehem, a group of shepherds, this group of shepherds we're talking about, the temple shepherds, were visited by the angel of the Lord. Now listen to how the Gospel of Luke describes it. It says, The glory of the Lord shone round about them. Now, see, you heard me say that, and nobody got excited. You just sat there and listened to me. But you see, there's a word in there. And our band, without me saying one word to them, sang about this all morning long. It says, and the glory, the dotsa in Greek, the glory of the Lord shone round about them. Had anybody seen the glory of the Lord for almost 600 years? No. And now, the glory of the Lord is suddenly there. Say, well. Now, as you can see, two things are at work. The angel of the Lord is at work, and the glory of the Lord is at work. Now, I've always believed that one of the most fascinating studies in which a student of the Bible can engage is to explore the concept of the glory of the Lord. I challenge you to do that. If you do, you'll discover that the glory of the Lord, those words, glory of the Lord, four words, stand at the very epicenter of all of God's covenant activities. In fact, whenever you find God entering into a covenant relationship, you'll always find the glory of the Lord being present. It came to allow certain persons to see the presence of God working in the midst of their activities and to know that what they were doing was approved of God and God sends His glory to show His approval. Are you with me? And yet, we have one tragic story in the Old Testament concerning the glory of the Lord, 
which relates to our sermon for today. It involves the prophet Ezekiel. Now, he was one of those men who had been shown the glory of the Lord. But he saw it in a vision. Do you understand me? He saw it in a vision. He saw it as it hovered above the two cherubim sitting atop the Ark of the Covenant within the Holy of Holies of the Temple. Remember, God's invisible throne set on top of the uplifted wings of that angel. And on top of that invisible throne was the Shekinah glory of God. But as Ezekiel based, basked in this vision of the divine glory, his mouth dropped open because he saw the unthinkable happen. Ezekiel watched in stunned silence as the glory of the Lord suddenly lifted from above the cherubims and began to move out of the temple. He's awestruck. Now, he was awestruck, but he understood what was taking place. The glory of the Lord was removing itself from the epicenter of his people. First, he saw the glory move to the threshold of the temple, to the priest, to the place where the priests were offering their sacrifices. All of the priests were gathered there. They would see anything that was happening in the threshold of the temple itself. The presence of the Lord moves there. But they're so busy with their sacrifices that they don't see it. They should have seen it immediately. It was only yards away from them. You see, when something's important to you, you see it. We got a picture from our grandson. Chris just came up and showed it to me before service. Max, my son Jamie's uh, eldest, he's in New York. Just happened to be there on a school trip. And was able last night to be in front of the place where the Heisman ceremonies took place. And when Kyler, not you, the other one, came out with his trophy, Max was standing close enough to reach out and touch him. He's got all of these glorious pictures. And as he turned to go, as Kyler turned to go back in, he got a film of the whole thing. You see, when a guy wins a Heisman, everybody notices when he comes out of the building. But God's glory moves to the threshold of the temple and no one notices. It's shocking to me. When no one noticed, the glory of the Lord then lifted again. This time it moved to the court of the Gentiles, what we call the outer court. And there in the midst of the entire congregation of Israel, who had come to worship the God, who was the Shekinah, they didn't see it either. They came to the temple to worship. But they did not see his glory. They were too busy being religious. In fact, only Ezekiel could see it. So after a time, the glory lifted again. And this time, it set down atop the walls of Jerusalem. Now, is there any excuse at all for anyone not to see it? It's right there on the walls of the city. 
It was visible to everyone, both inside and outside the city. It was as if God was looking down at his people and he was saying to them, my glory is leaving you. Does no one notice? Well, they didn't. So the glory lifted one last time and went on to the mountains of Israel, the mountains of Moab, and disappeared. The glory of God was now gone from his people. And no one but the prophet Ezekiel saw it go or cared that it had gone away. Oh, yes. Even though the glory was gone, the religious cultists continued to maintain their religious practice. The glory was gone, but they didn't stop what they were doing. They continued on for the next 600 years. And God's presence was not there. Now, from the time of the Babylonian exile until Jesus made his appearance in Bethlehem of Judea in 6 B.C., the glory of God had never returned. However, the people of Israel had continued to practice a religion that was dead at its very core. The life of God wasn't there any longer. But it would change. It would change. This is what Christmas is about. Now listen to me, people. It's not about giving presents. Here's what Christmas is about. On that first Christmas Eve, in the fields outside of Bethlehem, what happened? The glory of God returned. That's what our band was singing to us this morning. But isn't it strange? It didn't return to the temple in Jerusalem where it left. The glory did not even reveal itself to the priests of Israel. Of course, if that had occurred, I doubt if any of the priests would have noticed. They were too busy. Are you ready? They were too busy practicing religion. This group hadn't noticed when the glory left. Why should they notice when it comes back? No, when the glory of the Lord returned, it didn't appear in the temple. It appeared to a group of outcasts. To a group of lowly shepherds. Now the Gospel of Luke reports it this way. The glory of the Lord shone round about these shepherds. The glory of the Lord shone round about these shepherds. Yes, this glory had returned. In little Bethlehem of Judea. And guess what? This time... It wouldn't go away. And this glory would settle. And guess where it settled? It settled upon a person. It settled upon a baby boy. And it would remain upon him. We know that baby is Jesus of Nazareth. And let me assure you, the glory of the Lord was seen in him again and again while he was with us. In his gospel, John wrote these words. Listen carefully to Pastor now. We beheld his glory. The glory. Did you get that word? We beheld his. It's back. We know it's back. We beheld it. We beheld. Nobody else missed it. Somebody beheld it. We did. We beheld his glory. The glory as of the only begotten son of God. Now, the question is this. Why did God reveal his glory to a group of shepherds? 
Well, the answer is obvious, isn't it? These shepherds were the only people in Judea who had the faith in their hearts to receive a child born in a cave as their Lord and their Savior. If you remember nothing else I say this morning, please remember this. The first thing the angel of the Lord said to those shepherds was this. Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy, which shall be for all people. Did you hear that? The angel said, I bring you good news. Now the truth is this. The birth of Jesus was good news. It was very good news. But there was more good news to come. This baby born in Bethlehem's cave would one day die on a cross. This baby would one day rise again from the dead. This baby would one day ascend to the right hand of God. And that, my beloved, is the full good news. Born of the Virgin Mary. (laughs) Yay. Crucified. Raised again. Ascended to heaven. Now that sounds like something you read to us, with us, and we pronounced as our faith this morning, Tyler. I think you nailed it. You see, the truth is, the birth of Jesus was good news. It was. But there's a lot more. Now, let me say again. The announcement to Bethlehem shepherds was only the beginning of the good news of our salvation. But to participate only in the beginning of this good news, to only know that first part of it, produces, doesn't produce for you everything you want, but it produces this, according to the scripture. It produces great joy. That is the message. Jesus came to earth to bring us great joy. Now many people don't understand this because they've confused joy with happiness. Beloved, let me caution you. That's dangerous. You see, the two words are not the same. Joy and happiness are far different. We must not confuse them. Happiness comes from the old English word hap, H-A-P. Now, according to Webster's Abridged Dictionary, H-A-P, hap, means chance or fate. Happiness is the product of chance and fate. You see, good things happen if chance or fate is kind to us. When that happens, we're happy. Huh? If bad things happen, if chance or fate is unkind to us, we're unhappy. And when we're unhappy, we want whatever happened to make us unhappy, unhappy. Now, the problem with seeking happiness is there's no lasting stability in happiness. Everything is at the whim of the fates. And a life like this results in an emotional roller coaster. It's up and down. It's here and it's there. When fate is good, the emotions rise high. But when fate is bad, the emotions become depressed. And life seems like it's not worth living. Thank God. When people are born again, when they are saved from the dominion of the haps in their lives, their lives change. The Old Testament speaks of something it calls everlasting joy. 
Now let me give it to you again. It speaks of something called everlasting joy. In other words, it is a joy that has no beginning and a joy that will never end. And this joy cannot end because it's not based on anything that, you ready? It's not based on anything that happens. It's based upon one thing. Your relationship with Almighty God. So here's what the angel said to the shepherds. This is good news of great joy. Shepherds, let me give it to you so you can tell it to everybody else. That's the way the angel talked. (laughs) This is the good news of great joy. The glory has returned. It's been gone for 600 years. And guess what, fellas? It's back. That's Christmas. The joy is back. The glory has returned. It was on a person. And 30 years later, it would come to live in a host of persons. As a matter of fact, in the upper room on the day of Pentecost, the glory would come in the forms of tongues of fire and sit upon the heads of those 120 people as an announcement that the glory was now present in human beings who joined together to form the church. Now, I am privileged to pastor a group of people that are living in the age of joy. And guess what? If you could see what I see, if you were sitting up here and you looked across this congregation, you would see the joy of the Lord reflected in your faces. No wonder I love being a pastor. I get to see what the shepherds saw. I see it in angels. And you know what the word angel means? Messenger. All of you are messengers of the gospel. And I see the glory in you. Glory to God in the highest. Peace on earth. Goodwill toward men. And that's my teaching for today. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. If you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe too. We are available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Don't forget to connect with Ariel Ministries on Facebook and Instagram and subscribe to our email list at arielministries.com. That's Ariel spelled A-R-I-E-L. We look forward to keeping you updated on upcoming episodes and projects. If you would like to support the missional efforts of Aerial Ministries in Thoraka, Kenya with Each One Feed One, we'd like to remind you that 10% of all donations to Aerial Ministries will support this missional effort. Visit aerialministries.com give for online donations and other methods of giving. To learn more about the Thoraka mission, you can visit aerialministries.com missions. You can also listen to episode 26 for a deeper dive into how our relationship with Each One Feed One and the McCarter family started over 35 years ago, where we are today, 
and where we're headed in the future. 